This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. Appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Lots to talk about, of course. Lots of baseball yesterday, the Masters yesterday. Uh, Not a lot of excitement in the Masters yesterday uh, until the last few holes. It looked like Matsuyama might actually give it away and... uh, uh, then uh, Xander Shoffley kind of uh, coughed one up, but we'll uh, we'll get to all that in a bit. Um, the uh, the COVID thing it continues to rear its ugly head as they're talking about uh, you know surges across the country. Michigan is under fire. Well, here in the state of Connecticut, it hit us again. Uh, the University of Connecticut baseball team has had to put a pause on its season. It's kind of come at a, a tough time for UConn. They've won seven in a row, um, but uh, and they, after a rough start, I mean they they schedule some pretty tough opponents to start the season. But they've got the record up to sixteen and twelve. They're two and zero in conference play, and everything looked like it was going well. But now uh, they have had an outbreak on the team, so they have had to put the brakes on the season. Don't know for how long. It could be, uh, you know, a week. 10 days, it's going to depend, I guess, on uh, the continued testing and, and how many players, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, tough timing for UConn. And, and this is in light of, you know, the high school baseball and softball seasons have started. And look, guy, guys are playing with masks on. You know, it's just it's not what's happening on the field. And that's that's the difficulty with this. You know, we talk about, well, should they be playing sports? The problem is, is that. You know, these guys that are getting exposed to the virus aren't getting exposed on the baseball field or on the softball field or on the basketball court or anywhere else or on the the hockey rink. It's happening off campus. It's happening, um, you know, when they're living their lives and, you know, maybe they're not doing the or uh, taking the same kind of precautions outside of the playing areas they do inside you know who knows but uh so a tough tough thing for UConn so a seven game winning streak uh, is temporarily on hold and and hopefully they'll be able to pick up where they left off uh speaking of winning streaks the Boston Red Sox have lost or have won excuse me six in a row you know and I remember talking to Matt Corey of uh, Sox outsider and saying, you know, look, if the Red Sox want to do anything this year, they need to take care of business with the Baltimore Orioles. Well, you know, I said the three and three first six against the Orioles isn't going to be that great. Now, of course, I've had to amend that because they, they did go three and three against the Orioles, but I did not anticipate them sweeping uh, the Tampa Bay Rays. So now the Red Sox have the longest winning streak in baseball at six. In first place, matter of fact, they are the only team in the American League East right now that is above 500. 
And, you know, I guess it doesn't matter what time of year. It's always nice to, to hear uh, that your team is in first place. I mean, it's nine games in. We can't get giddy. But I'll tell you what, uh, it was pretty easy to get giddy over the Boston Red Sox offense yesterday. They were unbelievable. Uh, J.D. Martinez, three home runs yesterday. He was four for six with four runs batted in. Three homers. He's hitting 472. It's absolutely ridiculous. Raphael Devers, who had been struggling, hit two home runs yesterday. He drove in five in the game. So those two guys alone accounted for nine of the 14 runs that the Red Sox had yesterday. Oh, Alex Verdugo had a home run. Everybody got involved. As a matter of fact, the only guy in the starting lineup that did not have a hit yesterday for Boston was Marwin Gonzalez. Everybody else... Uh, <laughs> Got on, but even even uh, Arroyo, who came in as a pinch hitter, got a hit. I mean, it was just that kind of day. Um, and Nick Pavetta got the start for the Red Sox. And uh, you know, you look at the final line and you go, "Well, he gave up seven hits and four runs, and he walked three guys in six innings. That's not that great." Except you have to look at it and really understand that he made one bad pitch he gave up a three-run home run to Mikhail Franco in the sixth inning he had given up one run through five and if he they had taken him out after five innings and one run on six hits uh, or I should say one run on four hits you would have been like we'll take that all day long he comes back out for the six. He's got a 10-to-1 lead. Now, that's not any excuse. I mean, you can't say, well, maybe he lost concentration because they were up big. Well, you know, you can't, you can't allow that to happen. But regardless, he made one bad pitch. And uh, other than that, I mean, and he got himself into trouble, but he got himself out of it as well. There was one sequence um, in the game when he struck out Anthony Santander uh, with a couple of runners on Santander had fouled off six or seven pitches. I think it was in the third inning and the bases were loaded and he threw a one, two fastball and Santander froze. I think he, he must've been looking for a breaking ball and Pavetta got out of trouble, you know, uh, and since coming to Boston, you know, and you, you look at Pavetta, he's four and oh, since coming to Boston at the end of last year, he's got a three, two, seven ERA this season. Um, you know, we'll take that. And, you know, and I, I remember again, talking to Matt Corey was like, well, you know, he said, I have confidence that this starting rotation can be major league average. Well, right now, this starting rotation is one of the best numbers wise in major league baseball, which is crazy to think about with the exception of the one bad start by Garrett Richards. They've been great. And how about Garrett Richards starts over the weekend on Saturday? He gives up two bombs in the first inning, and we're like, oh, my God, here we go again. Yet that's all he gave up. You know, I mean, so uh, it was just one fantastic performance after another this weekend. And J.D. Martinez, I don't know what the hell. I mean, it, it can't. I mean, I guess it can, but I have a hard time believing this is just about the fact that he got video replay back. <laughs> you know, the fact that he can have his iPad in the dugout. I mean, it, it, really? 
You know, I have a hard time believing that's the case, but maybe, maybe it is. Maybe that's his pacifier, you know, and uh, it's that thing he's got to have to, to, to get him going. Well, going he is. Uh, right now he leads um, the major leagues in home runs. He leads the major leagues in runs batted in. What he is doing right now um, is historic. It really is. And and as far as, you know, if you look at all-time Red Sox history, he has the second most runs batted in by a Sox player in the first nine games of the season with 15. And think about this. He didn't play one of the games. He didn't play Saturday's game. He had been put on the COVID list temporarily. Why? Because he had cold symptoms. <laughs> this is where we are in this country now. If you have a runny nose, all of a sudden, oh, my God, it could be COVID. It might not just be a cold. It could be COVID. So they had to not play him on Saturday, and he had to get tested. The test company had a couple of tests. They both came back negative. And so he was able to, uh, to play on Sunday. But that's, that's what 2021 is, folks. So, you know, it's like I made a joke with my wife. We went out to uh, breakfast last week. And I sneezed <laughs> while we were at breakfast. And it's like, it's like I, I, I looked at Barb and I said, you know, I'm, afra- I'm afraid now if you sneeze, you know, everybody thinks that you're, you're sick and everybody's giving you dirty looks. You can't even sneeze these days. It's crazy. Um, so fortunately, he was able to play. Uh, and, you know, so he's missed a game and he's still driven in 15 runs. And by the way, he's got 12 extra base hits in the first eight games of the season. Nobody has ever done that in the history of the American League. 12 extra base hits in, the, in his first eight games of the season. No one has ever done it. Shocking. So, uh, you know, I don't, look, now, now we find out. And, and look, sweeping the Rays was great, but now we're really going to find out what this pitching staff is made of because they are going to play the Minnesota Twins for four games in Minnesota. They're all afternoon games this week. And we're going to find out what this team is made of in a hurry because now you're going to go face a lineup that is absolutely loaded. Now, they lost a game yesterday uh, to the Mariners in the ninth inning. They gave up a three-run bomb. But this is a team, you know, they've got Cruz, Byron Buxton, Max Kepler, Miguel Sano, Josh Donaldson may be coming off the disabled list in time for this series, just what the Red Sox needed. Uh, And so they are going to have their hands full. Now, the Minnesota pitching staff, with the exception of Jose Barrios, um, you know, uh, doesn't exactly, you know, strike fear into the hearts of men. Well, Kenta Maeda, too. You know, but outside of that, this team is not exactly loaded with pitching. So this could be a very high-scoring series. So if the Sox come out of Minnesota splitting a couple of games, I'll take that in a heartbeat because then they come back home for a long homestand, and it's going to be a tough homestand, too, and they've got the White Sox coming in. Uh, So we're going to find out. If this offense can continue at this rate, it's not going to matter who they play. It's just absolutely insane. Uh, Over this six-game winning streak, by the way, the Red Sox are averaging almost nine runs a game. And as a team, they're hitting 332. I mean, these are like uh, video game numbers, like you're playing MLB The Show, the kind of stuff that they're doing right now. It's absolutely nuts. Um, I'll take it. I hope it continues. 
I fear it won't. Uh, is this is this a team that is going to win six out of every nine games this season? I have a hard time believing that. You know, look, I'm I'm a, a big a, a Red Sox fan as can be, but I think if you are realistic, you know, this is a team that hopefully will win more than it loses and will finish over 500. But to think that this team is going to win, you know, two out of every three games, I, I don't. I don't think that's the case, but it sure would be nice. I just don't. I just don't think that the Red Sox have uh, enough pitching to get them where they need to be. But uh, hey, look, enjoy it while we can. Um, the Yankees win yesterday. They win it in extra innings, uh, eight to four. They actually scored four runs in the tenth inning. Rudnet Odor who had been acquired from the Texas Rangers, played his first game as a Yankee, and he had been 0-4 in the game, but uh, he had a base hit in the 10th inning that broke the tie, and then they kind of piled on, and the Yankees end up winning the game 8-4. to But again, you know, the Yankees are 4-5, and five, and so is Tampa. I mean, Tampa yesterday uh, was rolling right along, and then Colin McHugh was still trying to come back from that injury that arm injury uh, was not very good in the uh, extra frame yesterday. And I continue, despite the fact the Yankees won, I continue to be a fan of the runner on second base to start extra innings. And it was funny. I got a text message yesterday from uh, Eric Braun, who I do a podcast with, uh, along with Paul Arno, called uh, The Boys of Summer. And he said, I- I've come around too. Of course, he's a Kansas City Royals fan, and they ended up beating Chicago yesterday in extra innings. But, you know, it's one of those things where it helps teams that play small ball, you know, a team like Kansas city, that's not going to be a team that's just going to club the ball over the bar ballpark. It gives those, uh, small ball teams a chance to win games in extra innings. So the Yankees with the win, uh, Garrett Cole will pitch today, uh, against the Toronto blue Jays. The game is in Dunedin, Florida. That's where the Jays are playing their home games uh, at their spring training site because of the restrictions in Canada. And it looks like they're preparing to play in the United States for the long haul Um, because the Buffalo AAA affiliate of the Blue Jays is preparing to play its games in Trenton, New Jersey, at least for the start of the season, so that the Blue Jays can move their team to the AAA facility uh, up in Buffalo, which is where they played their games last year. You know, if this goes on too long, the people of Toronto aren't going to give a crap if they come back or not. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's nuts. Uh, and as far as the Rays go, after the loss yesterday, they get the Texas Rangers. Tyler Glass now, their ace, who has uh, given up exactly one run uh, in his first couple of starts this season, will take on the Texas Rangers tonight. Rangers are a team, again, not a lot of pitching, but the Rangers are a team that can uh, hit the hell out of the ball. So that should be an interesting series as well. Uh, the New York Mets did a New York Mets thing yesterday. This is this is absolutely ridiculous. The forecast was for rain. And, you know, they had been talking about it for, you know, all week, that it was going to rain on Sunday. So the Mets, despite the forecast, decided they were going to try to play it. They, they looked at the radar. The rain was literally... Uh, a mile away from the stadium, but they decided to play the game anyway. So it starts at 110. It lasted exactly seven minutes. 
Marcus Stroman got the start for the Mets against the Miami Marlins. He threw nine pitches before they called the game or at least stopped the game for rain. They sat out a two-hour and 15-minute rain delay, and finally they called it. So Marcus Stroman basically had a start wasted because now he will sit and he won't pitch again because he got up and went through his regular routine. He threw his nine pitches, and you say, well, you know, maybe they could bring him back. Technically, I guess they could, but Marcus Stroman's a guy who didn't pitch at all last year. They're not going to fool around with this kind of stuff, so he is going to have to wait another five days before he pitches, and he was pissed. So what did he do? He went on to Twitter as soon as the game was over, as soon as the game was uh, was canceled. He says, he said this game should have never started. Not smart at all. He said the conditions put everyone at risk. He said, beyond happy, no players on either side were injured, but I hate that I have to wait another five days to pitch again. That's a miserable feeling. And I'm telling you what, this is a typical New York Mets thing. The New York Mets, uh, you know, could uh, – I had an analogy. I'm not going to use it because it will get me in trouble. But, uh, you know, it's just nuts. They do the dumbest thing. It's like the New York Jets in football. I mean, you just you just shake your head at this organization and you wonder why they never win. You know, and Luis Rojas the manager tried to, to try to uh defend it. He said, "Well, you know, you know, Stroh is outspoken. You know, he says what he feels." Uh but he said uh, uh he said uh, you know, we were looking at the forecast it was supposed to be a lighter rain to a mist. This you know, the second you know, around noontime. He said, "So, you know, we should be okay." You know, well, uh, I don't know what he was looking at, and I don't know what the umpires were looking at, but, you know, it was more than a mist. And Marcus Stroman was the one that got the game stopped because he was he threw out several baseballs, he was slipping and sliding out there, and he said to the umpire, this isn't safe. And so the umpires agreed, and, you know, because once the game starts, it's the umpire's decision. Before the game starts, it's the it's the team's decision. So it's all on the Mets. Once the game starts, the umpires have control, and the umpires can call the game at any point that they want. But before the game starts, it's up to the home team. It's the same way in high school. It's the same way in college. You know, the home team makes the decision, and then once the game starts, the umpire takes control. Don Mattingly, by the way, absolutely brilliant here. He saw what the weather was. So instead of using one of his starters, he had his reliever, John Curtis, warming up to be an opener. Now, Curtis obviously never got the pitch because it was called in the top half of the first, but Mattingly was smart here. He's like, there's no way we're playing this game. There's no way it's going to finish. Now, we might go out and play an inning or two, so I'm going to just use one of my relievers. I don't have to worry about burning a starter. That was intelligent. The Mets, however, not so intelligent. And speaking of the Mets, and this is, you know, this is mind-boggling. And if you are Jacob DeGrom and, you know, you, your contract's coming up and, you know, you've got to make a decision fairly soon about whether you're going to sign an extension with the Mets or whether you're going to test the free agent market. Jacob DeGrom pitched for the Mets on Saturday and he pitched his ass off as he always does. He went eight innings. He gave up five hits and one run. He struck out 14, and he walked nobody. 
Guess what? He lost because the Mets managed just three hits off <laughs> three hits off of the Miami Marlins pitching, and they lose one nothing. Think about this. Since 2018, Jacob DeGrom has an ERA of 2.07. That's the best in baseball, which is why he's won a couple of Cy Youngs. In that time, he has started 41 games that the Mets have lost. Think about that, right? Three seasons plus a little more. He's They've lost 41 games that he started where he's giving up an average of two runs a game. And on top of that, he has 11 leads that were blown by the bullpen where he left the game with a lead and the bullpen blew it. He has 33 no decisions over that time as well. And in those no decisions, he has a 1.76 ERA. So every time he pitches, I don't know whether the Mets figure like, ah, you know, he's got this under control. We can relax and the batters don't con- I, I don't know what it is. But every time this guy pitches, it, the Mets can't score. It is, it's why he won the Cy Young a couple of years ago with a 10-9 and record. You know, and it goes to show you, when somebody said this, it's, it goes to show you why uh, why wins don't matter anymore. You know, wins used to be a, a gauge how people judged how good a pitcher was. Did you win 20 games? Well, at this, at this stage, in the way they use pitching staffs now, wins don't mean a lot. Now, with a guy like Jacob DeGrom, it should because he's going seven, eight inch, innings every time. And he gives his team a chance to win every time out, and yet they don't. If you're Jacob DeGrom and you look at those numbers with all the games that they have lost or they have blown in the times that you have pitched for them when you have pitched, outpitched everybody, if you're him, why the hell would you want to stay there? Honest to God. First of all, if he decides to become a free agent, somebody's going to back up the Brinks truck, and and he'll get the probably the richest contract for a pitcher in history. So there's that, and then there's just the fact that the Mets just stink, you know. And they and they made all these moves, and you know, you just wonder if you're Francisco Lindor, <laughs> you know, you wonder. A couple of years from now, when the Mets still haven't won anything, if he's going to go, man, what was I thinking signing a long-term contract here? I mean, it's just a typical Mets thing. It's unbelievable. So it, <laughs> I saw a thing on uh, on Facebook. Somebody said, free DeGrom. You know, I mean, it's, it's, oh, it's terrible. Terrible. But the decision yesterday to play that game in the rain is just typical Mets, and it's why this franchise is an absolute train wreck. I don't care who the owner is, whether it's the Wilpons or whether it's uh, Steve Cohen, this team is a train wreck. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning, a gray day here in the Northeast, but uh, a little drizzle, but the good news is it's not snowing. Um, The Masters this weekend. Not a lot of drama. There really wasn't. Uh, Hideki Matsuyama makes history. He becomes the first Japanese player to win a green jacket at Augusta. 
So that was that was pretty cool. And you know what I liked about Matsuyama is he, when he gave his press conference after the tournament was over, he said, uh, "You know, I'm not the greatest golfer in the history of Japan, but I am the first one to win the Masters." But I love the fact that you know that he, uh, you know, and and he's not a very emotional guy, you know. Uh, but I, I love the fact that he, you know kind of paid homage to some of the guys that came before him. Uh, you know, and I, I remember when, you know, for years, Asai Aoki uh, used to battle uh, all the time uh, and uh, was in a lot of Masters. And uh, I remember he had a great duel with Jack Nicholas in the U.S. Open one year. Aoki was a great player out of Japan. And there's been a, a series of them since, and none of them have ever been able to break through for whatever reason. So Matsuyama does, um, to be honest with you, I thought this tournament was boring. The only, the only thing that to me that was kind of cool was this kid Will Zalatoris. Now I have to be honest, I never heard of the kid. He's 24 years old. He's just out of college. He won a tournament that nobody ever heard of earlier in the year or late last year to qualify for the Masters, um, and he came out and he fired all four rounds under par. He ends up finishing a stroke back only because Matsuyama. Uh, had a tough finish. He finished with a one over 73. Um, so Matsuyama didn't play his best golf on Sunday, but he played enough. And at, at one point he had a five shot lead and he gave a bunch of it back in the last uh, few holes. But, uh, and it looked like Xander, Xander Shoffley had a chance. He was a couple of shots back, uh, standing on the 16th hole, took a triple bogey. First time he'd ever done that in a major. And so that took him out of contention. It was nice to see Jordan Spieth, uh, he ends up tied for third. But really, there was uh, very little drama in this tournament. Matsuyama had control after the uh, second round and uh, retained control again. A little bit of drama, I guess, on the last couple of holes, but this one was really never in doubt. Um, so uh, good for him. The one thing that was kind of fun to see, Stuart Sink, 47 years old, uh, ends up three under par. Stuart Sink is you know one of the older guys on tour, that's still uh, still plugging along and finished with a 71 to tie for, I think, 12th place, and he automatically gets invited back next year, so that's kind of cool. Phil Mickelson, not a bad tournament. He had a bad first round. He shot a 75 in the first round, but he ends up finishing uh, at even par. And uh, uh, Bryson DeChambeau, the guy that everybody loves to hate, including me, actually especially me because I – Everybody talks about this guy, you know, as if he's trying to, as if he's changed the game of golf. And I guess he's trying because he's trying to overpower golf courses. Five over par this weekend, you know, and uh, you know everybody oohs and ahs because they, they showed him on the 18th hole and he hit the snot out of a ball. He drove it like 370 yards and had a, you know, a little chip shot left to get to the green. Everybody's oh, it's so great. Well, he was five over par because you know what, you can hit the hit it as far as you want. But if you don't hit it in the fairway, especially at places like Augusta or when you go to the U.S. Open, if you hit it in the rough, you're toast. You know, so I understand what he's trying to do, and and he's trying to get every ounce of distance out of the ball that he can. But it's just it's, ugh, I I I, I root against this guy, and I don't know him. You know, I, I he annoys me because you listen to his interviews, and it's like he's trying to impress you with how smart he is. Uh, and, and he looks like the incredible Hulk, but I just, I don't like, 
what he's done to the game of golf. I don't like the distance in the game of golf anyway. And again, I know I sound like the old man, get off my lawn, but with the equipment and the golf balls that guys are using today, the game of golf today does not have any resemblance to golf when Jack Nicklaus was playing. You know, I would love to see these guys come out and try to play a tournament with clubs that Jack Nicklaus used when he was in his prime. Good luck. Because now, you know, the the distance that they hit balls now is just obscene. And I remember when Tiger Woods was coming on the scene and everybody was, you know, all of a sudden, uh, because Tiger was so long, they were like, oh, we have to Tiger-proof these courses. And so they're going out and they're lengthening courses because Tiger's out hitting everybody. Tiger Woods now, I mean, I know he's 44, but Tiger Woods isn't anywhere near one of the longest hitters on tour. I mean, guys are out driving him by a ton. And this was a guy who was supposedly changing the game of golf. But Tiger, Tiger had the whole package. You know, Tiger wasn't just about distance. Tiger had the whole package. Right now, all Bryson DeChambeau has is distance. And uh, so, and at some point, I have to believe the PGA Tour is going to have to do something because they're they're getting it to a point where these golf courses, a par five is is uh, it's it's almost every par five is an eagle hole now, right? I mean, they're getting to a point where they're going to have to do something. What are you going to do? Have a bunch of courses that are only for the pros that are like 9,000 yards long and so that, you know, the average Joe can't play on them? Because that's what we're getting to. Courses that are designed for, you know, uh, the recreational golfer, or maybe not even the way, I guess it's kind of, yeah, even these private clubs, I mean, by and large, these guys are just recreational golfers. Yeah, they're probably better than, the, you know, the, the guy across the street from me. But by and large, these are recreational golfers, and, and, and pros are making a mockery out of this. And uh, DeChambeau is not good for the game of golf, I don't believe. I mean, I'm sure he's a fine kid, okay? I'm sure he's smart as hell, and I'm sure he's a fine kid. But what he's doing is not good for the game of golf. Ask Rory McIlroy. Rory McIlroy has admitted that because of what DeChambeau is doing, he's trying to do the same thing. Well, Rory McIlroy didn't make the cut this weekend. He was six over after two rounds because he's out there trying to bomb away, and that's not his game. I mean, he was the long hitter anyway, and he's going to try to go toe-to-toe with DeChambeau, and if other guys do that as well, it's not going to be good for the game of golf. So I hope at some point uh, common sense prevails although in professional sports it seldom does. Um, Locally, uh, in pro sports, the Celtics with a great win yesterday, and we haven't been able to say that very often. But the Celtics beat the Denver Nuggets yesterday, 105-87. to This is the same Denver Nuggets team that had come in to this game having won eight in a row and 17 of the last 20. Well, the Boston Celtics put on a clinic in the second half. They were down six at the half. They were down five at the end of three. They outscored Denver in the fourth quarter, 31-8. to eight. They finished this game on a 40-8 to eight run. The last nine points of the third quarter... And at 31 points in the fourth. 
40 to 8 run. They end up beating them 105 to 87. It is one of the most impressive victories I have ever seen. And I'm going, and I go back a long way. And this Celtics team was not shooting the ball well. As a matter of fact, if you look at the box score, the Celtics shot seven for thirty-three from three-point range. Kemba Walker was zero for seven from three. Zero for seven. Um, they only shot forty-five percent as a team. But boy. Did they control the boards in this one? Did they play some defense in this one? And it was a total team effort. All five starters in double figures. Didn't get much off the bench as usual. Uh, still without Evan Fournier, by the way, who's on the COVID-19 list, the guy, they, you know, the scorer they got from Orlando. So they did this without him. Uh, Jason Tatum with 28. Jalen Brown with 20. Uh and uh, along to and Tatum, by the way, along with his uh, 28 points, had 10 rebounds. Uh, Robert Williams continues to be a solid starter in the middle. 10 points, eight boards, uh, three block shots. Just uh, a unbelievable effort by the Celtics. And it's part of a three-game road swing uh, to the West Coast. You can't think of a better way to start. And look, you know, does this mean that you know we don't have to worry anymore and the the Celtics are going to get to where they should be and be one of the top four teams in the Eastern Conference. Well, I don't know about that. But right now, they are tied for sixth. And they are a game out of fourth. You know, that's where they are right now. Uh, But they still are only, you know, when you look at it, you know, they're only a handful of games from being in a play-in game. You know, so this is a, you know, I, we can't rest yet, but this was uh, very impressive. And if this is how they're going to play the rest of the way, it could be a very, very fun summer as we watch this, this team in the playoffs. Uh, now, on the ugly side of yesterday, the Boston Bruins got absolutely demolished by the Washington Capitals. This game was embarrassing. They lost 8-1. to one. Now, the Bruins went into this with like four guys unavailable, including, by the way, their top two goalies, but they've been out for a little while. Anyway, uh, Dan Vladar got the start in goal yesterday and did his best impersonation of Swiss cheese. Uh, <laughs> the Bruins actually outshot, actually outshot the Capitals in this game 35-33, but they gave up eight goals. It's unbelievable. So uh, on the heels of that, the Bruins made two trades at the trade deadline, which is today. Uh, they are going to get Taylor Hall from Buffalo. Now, Hall hasn't had a great season in Buffalo, two goals, 17 assists, but it's a guy that uh, uh, has been a scorer in the past, and they're hoping that uh, he can he can find that in exchange. Uh, Anders Bjork and a second-round pick uh, end up going to Buffalo, so this is a good move for them. They also acquired defenseman Mike Riley from Ottawa as they try to solidify that blue line a little bit. That was where their problem was yesterday because they had three guys hurt and their depth uh, on defense is uh, is just awful. So uh, we'll see. I mean, at least they made some moves, but, man, that was an absolutely embarrassing performance by the Boston Bruins yesterday. So uh, I, I actually skipped watching this game, and man, how I, am I glad. I mean, yesterday, there's only so much you can watch, right? I had the NASCAR race yesterday. Um, the Red Sox were playing. Uh, we had the Masters going on. It was only so many things I could watch. So I decided that I was going to skip the Bruins game. So I just I 
confine myself to watching the highlights last night, and there weren't a lot of Bruins highlights. Uh, the only goal they scored uh, came uh, in the third period. Uh, Craig Smith with a power play goal three minutes into the third. That was the lone. That was the lone highlight for the Bruins yesterday. So uh, just just gross. And by the way, the NASCAR race. Um, uh, Martin Truex Jr. with the win at Martinsville. That race was supposed to take place on Saturday night, but because of rain there, they finished it uh, yesterday. Joey Logano from Middletown uh, with a top 10 finish, so that was good. He's following up uh, his win last week. And now NASCAR heads to Richmond this coming week uh, for a another short track race, so that should be uh, a good one as well. It's 45 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll make our way around the rest of the major leagues. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call. By the way, uh, uh, I guess uh, they have health officials going around to the different Major League Baseball teams giving presentations on the vaccine uh, as to why the players should get the vaccine. Uh, which, which, by the way, I mean, it's kind of amazing to me. As far as we are into this pandemic, there's been so much uh, publicity about the vaccine. I don't understand why we still need people to go around and, and, and explain to folks why it's a good idea. I really don't. Uh, Alex Cora said that he expects the Red Sox to reach that 85% threshold. And again, there's incentives for these teams to do this. If they get to that 85%, they can then take anybody in their family who's been vaccinated with them. They can take them on the road as long as they have been fully vaccinated as well. Uh, they will open up the clubhouse to, uh, you know, to, to meals and to being able to play video games and do all the things that Major League Baseball players are used to doing to kind of unwind after games or get themselves ready for the game, you know. And uh, so there's 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 incentives to do it. I don't understand why we still have to talk about it, but, you know, be that as it may. By the way, my, uh, my stepson Joe got his first vaccine uh, yesterday, I think, how was Joe? Joe was, I think, 32, 33 years old. And, uh, you know, both uh, my daughters have been vaccinated. My my oldest one has had both. My youngest one, uh, who's 27, Hannah, just had her first one as well. You know, uh, I don't think I'm going to be able to convince Barbara to get hers. But if it, it, the way I look at it, and I said to her, I just got to laugh at her because I just, well, as long as 80, 84.9% of the others in the country get theirs, we'll still have herd immunity without you. So. <laughs> um, baseball games from yesterday. Great pitching matchup yesterday uh, with the Nationals and the Dodgers. Clayton Kershaw against Max Scherzer, two of the best pitchers uh, in the last several years. These are two guys that they both started their careers in 2008. They both had, came into the game with 175 wins. Um, uh, and, uh, yesterday Clayton Kershaw got the best of Scherzer. Kershaw goes six shutout inning, strikes out six, doesn't walk anybody. Max Scherzer made, uh, uh, one mistake, but he only gave up three hits. He struck out five. Uh, he ends up taking the loss because, uh, the Los Angeles bullpen behind, and this is a great bullpen. I'll tell you what, and that's the thing with the Dodgers. They have great starting pitching. They have more pitching than they sh that should be legal. And then you go to that bullpen with guys like Corey Knable, Blake Trinan, and Kenley Jansen, and you have no shot. If the Los Angeles Dodgers pitching staff starters can get you into the into the sixth inning with this bullpen, it's game over. Game over. And, you know, Washington, their bullpen has been a disaster over the last few years. Now, they do have Brad Hand as their closer, and they just got him back off the COVID list. Matter of fact, he pitched a scoreless inning yesterday, but you know, yesterday Scherzer did great. They were only losing one nothing, but then Rainey came in, uh, gave up a two run bomb, 
uh, to uh, Zach McKinstry, and that was the difference in the game. They ended up losing it 3 nothing. But a great pitcher's duel between these two teams. The Nationals now have their hands full, a pretty good St. Louis Cardinals team. Uh, they will play in St. Louis starting tonight. Eric Fetty, who got bombed in his first start, will get the start for Washington. The Dodgers have a day off, and then they open a three-game series at home with Colorado. Trevor Bauer will get the start. By the way, we haven't heard any more from Major League Baseball about after those uh, all those balls that uh, Bauer used in his game the other day had been seized. Uh, we have not heard any results of that. If there are going, if there is going to be any fallout, I would imagine we are going to hear something in the next couple of days. I can't imagine they're going to wait too long, uh, and it may turn out to be nothing. You know, and I think the fact that uh, Dave Roberts, his manager, and uh, a few other people have piped up and said, you know, why why is one guy being singled out? Uh, it does make you wonder. Now, yesterday, by the way, in the Red Sox game. There was a ball that was thrown out, and I, you know, and they threw it into the dugout, and I saw somebody grab it and, you know, kind of write on it, and as if they're authenticating the baseball. So, you know, maybe there was uh, some thought that uh, something was going on there as well. But it seems like they're doing it randomly uh, at just about every game. But the, what was significant about the Bauer game is they grabbed several balls. It wasn't just like one. So uh, we'll see. But, I, you know, if we're going to hear anything, I would imagine it'll be sometime early this week. Um, I watched the finish of the Phillies-Braves game last night. The Phillies come back to beat Atlanta 7-6 to on a disputed call at the plate in the ninth inning when Alec Bohm scored on a, uh, a shallow fly ball to Marcelo Zuna and left. He made a throw to the plate. It was about a, you know, the only problem was it was, you know, and this is, you know, and, and, and Bohm was safe. Well, they called him safe. You looked at the replay, and it from just about every angle, I could not see any angle where it looked like Bohm's toe actually touched that plate. It looked like uh, the heel hit just in front of the plate, and then the foot bounced up in the air, and at no point did it look like his toe touched the plate. Here's the problem. The home plate umpire called him safe. So when they go to the replay, all they can do is determine – if there is enough evidence to overturn the call. They're not actually making the call at the plate unless there is definite video evidence. And there was no, you couldn't tell. They showed it from like four different angles. And at none of the angles could you definitively tell that the toe didn't touch the plate. I would be willing to bet my house that it didn't. And even Alec Bohm, uh, when somebody asked him after the game, he said, I was called safe. And that's all that matters. <laughs> and he's absolutely right. But here's the thing. You know, the other part about this is this was fly ball was only maybe 250 feet from the plate. I mean, it was really shallow. Alec Bohm is not exactly the biggest speedster in the world. Marcelo Zuna, who was a former gold glover in left field, is catches the ball. And then he threw to the ball to the plate. Now, it was on target, but it was about a two-hopper. You know, they said the throw speed, that's an amazing thing, by the way, StatCast, they, they could tell you that he threw it 77 miles an hour home. Now, a guy with a decent arm in left field probably gets Bohm by 10 feet. But this throw to the plate, even though it was online, it hopped twice before it got to the catcher, Travis Darnot. And, you know, and then he tried to block the plate and didn't work. But I, I, I would, honest to God, I, I think he was out. But And the fans in Atlanta... You know, there may not be as many as there have been in the past, 
but they were pissed and they were loud. And unfortunately, they started throwing stuff on the field, which nobody needs. But uh, uh, a controversial finish. And the, the uh, Phillies avoid getting swept by the Atlanta Braves in a game uh, that they probably, probably uh, should have lost. Uh, neither starting pitcher very good in this one, but the bullpens were pretty good. And uh, But the Phillies end up with the win. Bryce Harper with a home run in this one. He went just one for four, but he did have uh, the home run. Andrew McCutcheon, uh, score, or scoreless, hitless at the top of the lineup. He's hitting just 179 to start the season. You wonder at some point if the Phillies start looking at that and uh, make a determination that maybe they have to make some kind of a change uh, at the top of that lineup. Uh, the Phillies will take on the New York Mets starting today. Uh, it's a four-game series at City Field. And the Braves host the Miami Marlins for a four-game series as well. Uh, I mentioned this one earlier, but the Kansas City Royals with a win over the Chicago White Sox, 4-3 to three in 10 innings. Uh, my friend Eric Braun, very happy. And uh, this one was won because of a misplay uh, by the pitcher in the 10th inning. Uh, Garrett Crochet misplayed a bunt right back to the mound. Look, uh, Michael A. Taylor, a guy who's got some pretty good speed, was on third base. Andrew Benatendi, former Red Sox player, is at the plate, and I guess he's going to try to squeeze him home. Well, he hit, he bunted, but he bunted it right back to the mound. Uh, Crochet picked it up and then spiked the ball. You know, he hit, hit in front of his catcher, Zach Collins. He couldn't come up with it. Uh, he gets charged with a throwing error, and the Kansas City Royals end up winning it. Greg Holland, two innings of relief. Uh, to get the victory, uh, Zimmer picked up his first save of the season. But that's one that uh, probably should have gone uh, maybe to the 11th because uh, that one was definitely misplayed. But again, there's some excitement that we probably would not have had. you know. And it helps teams like the Royals that are not just going to club the ball all over the ballpark. Um, and they managed to squeak one out. The San Diego Padres uh, with a win. They sweep. The Texas Rangers, they win yesterday 2-0, and this was a bullpen game. And it was a bullpen game because Adrian Morjohn, one of their great young pitchers, lasted just two-thirds of an inning. They had to take him out um, after just 16 pitches because he felt some tightness in the forearm and elbow. He's having an MRI today, but the uh, Padres are very, very concerned. Craig Stamen, who's usually a back-end-of-the-bullpen guy, came on in relief and pitched three and a third innings and then they went to five other relievers uh, to hang on to this one. And uh, Mark Melanson picked up. He's already got five saves this season. Uh, Mike fulton got the start for Texas. He was dynamite. Uh, allowed just two hits and a run over seven innings, but gets tagged for the loss because this uh, normally uh, hot-hitting Texas Rangers offense could do absolutely nothing uh, yesterday. So the Padres now will take on the Pittsburgh Pirates in their next series. You Darvish. We'll get the start for the 7-3 and three Padres in that one. Uh, Luke Weaver, who stunk last year, had an ERA of almost 7, uh, led the NL in losses last year with 9, uh, was great yesterday. Took a no-hitter into the 7th inning, uh, lost it in the 7th on a broken bat single by Eugenio Suarez, but the Diamondbacks uh, with the win, and they cooled off a Cincinnati Reds team that had come into this game hitting 313 as a team. Uh, they beat them yesterday 7-0 behind a great performance by Luke Weaver. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We leave you this morning with some music from Tim McGraw, my next 30 years. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.